What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. Omron, another week of football almost in the books. We have two games tonight on Monday, but today we have, again, one of my favorite videos we do during the season, my top 10 takeaways, lessons learned, observations from the week we just had of football. This is going to be for week two, looking forward to week three fantasy football. As always, if you enjoy, leave a like, subscribe. Let's go. Yes, stones, like this froze, ice cold, oh, oh, ice around my body like I'm frozen. Now, before we get into anything here, our first takeaway doesn't even really have a name. It's just, it, it feels mandatory at this point that we talk about the Atlanta Falcons offense. They are the talking point of the league. Something different is going on every single week in terms of usage and passing game. So let's talk about these Atlanta Falcons here. There's a couple of positives and a couple negatives is what I'll say here. The positive is that the environment of this passing game is actually not as bad as it was last year. Last week, they had 18 pass attempts in a blowout. This week, I, th I don't know if I said last year, but last week, we had 18 pass attempts. This week, we had 32 pass attempts. The passing attempts per game for the Falcons last year was somewhere around like 24.5. So getting up to 32 this week is nice. They are 22nd in the NFL right now in pass attempts per game. That is absolutely massive. And the reason for that is what we talked about last week, the pace. They are running a lot of plays, which is really, really important. This week, they had 78 offensive plays, which was fourth in the NFL this week. They have 63 snaps per game this season, which is 17th in the NFL. Last year, they were bottom six with under 60 offensive plays per game. So they're running more plays and they're passing the ball more, which is good. And that's why Drake London got right here. Drake London comes out and goes from a 5.9% target share. We said his career, he's been around like 28%. He comes back out, 24.2% target share. What do you know? He goes from zero PBR points, 18.7. Drake London's going to be fine. Again, though, back-end wide receiver two is kind of what we're expecting here for him over the entire season. Now, Kyle Pitts, last week everyone was panicking on Drake London. Now it's Kyle Pitts. Everyone's sort of spooked on Kyle Pitts. And I do get it. Jonu Smith had a few targets there. It wasn't super fun to watch, but... The usage was sort of fine. He played on 35 of 40 passing snaps where he, he split snaps with Jonu Smith where they both had around like 55 to 60. That's kind of good, taking Kyle Pitts off the field for run plays, keeping him fresh for pass plays, right? Again, he was out there for 87.5% of the routes ran on this team, which then led to five targets, which is usually workable for a tight end. Five targets will about do, uh, but he only turned into two catches for 15 yards. Now, his target prop run on his entire career is 22.5%. That would have put his routes run right 35, 22.5% of those 35 routes would have put him at about seven to eight targets. So again, like London last week, sort of underperformed what he's been doing in his entire career. He's a boom bust tight end moving forward. But again, he's running routes. This passing game offense isn't as terrible as some think. I'm not giving up just yet, but he is this like back end tight end one boom bust type play where if you somehow have one of these teams with like a Waller or a Hawkinson or a Kelsey or an Andrews of course you're going to play him over Pitts but there's really I, I mean I I don't feel much stronger about like Evan Ingram's and Pat Fryermuth types uh than Kyle Pitts at this point I do think better days are ahead but I know that you know that's kind of been the story with Kyle Pitts to this point now again Bijan Robinson looked like an absolute alien um just an absolute monster across the board 19 carries 124 yards we were saying you know he could be one of the legendary running backs this year. 
and so far, his first two games in the NFL, he has over 20 PPR points in both. So we're off to a great start, uh, and that is early in the season where we think that he can sort of completely take over this backfield, push Tyler Algier to the side, uh, and we're sort of seeing the start of that in this game where Bijan got up to uh, 73% of the snaps you can see here from Jacob Gibbs. Above that, 79% of the routes is really good. That's a top-five number. 60% or better for running backs is really good, so 79% for Bijan this week. Amazing. Uh, still splitting the snaps pretty evenly, though, with 39 uh, – or still splitting the touches pretty evenly with 39 touches for Bijan, 34 touches for Algier. But you can just see, like, Algier just way more uh, – or way less effective than Bijan, where Bijan has 19 for 124, Algier 16 for 48. You have uh, Bijan in the passing game, 4 for 48 on five targets, which is really, really nice. He's actually on pace for 85 catches on the season. Last year, only two running backs hit 80-plus catches. It was Eckler. It was CMC. The RB1 and 2 last year. So if he can get to 85 catches and be this efficient and all this usage, like Bijan uh, is going to crush this year. So if you have Bijan, be very excited about that. Now, I wanted to touch on, on the other side of this game, it was Atlanta versus Green Bay. I hate to say this. I hate to say this. You guys know, I mean, I come at these franchises all the time. I'm a Jets fan. I haven't had a good quarterback ever. We were supposed to have, you know, the first time I was like, oh, man, we have a quarterback who's won an MVP and looks really good. It's Aaron Rodgers, and he comes out here four plays in and tears his Achilles. It's just, it's insane. You know, there's some teams out there like the Jets where we have no quarterback luck at all, and then there's some teams like the Packers who have had all the way back to, like, Bart Starr, uh, you know, before my parents were even born, to Brett Favre, to Aaron Rodgers, I'm not saying Jordan Love's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, but I mean, he looks really good. We had, I would call Jordan Love, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell. I might be leaving someone else out, but those seemed like the four like very unproven quarterbacks that were sort of mystery boxes this year. Uh, and Jordan Love has just absolutely crushed it. Where if we look at his, I'm trying to see, his EPA per play, which is just quarterback efficiency, just on a per play basis, what are you contributing to winning football games, right? Expected points added. Your points added on a drive, on a play, over what's expected of you. Uh, and he's been lights out. He is quarterback two in points per game, Jordan Love. He is fourth in quarterback rating on ESPN, six touchdowns, zero interceptions, first in EPA per play. Uh, on top of that, his tight ends and wide receivers aren't, any, like I would call them a bottom five to 10 unit, right? We're talking Jaden Reed without Christian Watson. We're talking rookie tight end and Musgrave, Dobbs, Jaden Reed and like Dontavion Wicks has been out there recently and somehow with that skill group he's been really good now his only flaw is he's a 55% completion percentage guy right now of course you want more 60 65% but he's pushing the ball downfield with a top five a dot of 9.3 so a lower completion percentage is sort of fine uh in that area so Jordan Love super super promising now why I have all these arrows here is because our next takeaway is the Broncos are not winning games, but Russ is kind of cooking here. Uh, Russ had over 300 passing yards. Uh, he had three touchdowns, one interception. He had 56 rushing yards. I think he's like a top three quarterback in points per game so far. Uh, the Broncos, after being dead last in points per game, offensive points per game last year, they are 14th. So their offense is at least moving the ball and looking good and scoring points where that was a luxury last year. So that's kind of the positives here. Uh, and Russell Wilson here, sixth in EPA per play. So he's actually looking kind of like himself here. Of course, it's not necessarily winning football. Uh, but for fantasy football purposes, this is an offense, right? That's all we were kind of looking for last year is like this offense was so bad. But this is going to be an offense that's going to have some people that are scoring points, which is good. Uh, we also have 
Just in terms of summing up what this offense is, I think Davis Maddock here summed it up great. Marvin Mims had 113 yards and a touchdown, but only ran six routes. We'll touch on that in the rookie wide receiver report. Mims's routes, they, they're they going to come up. He, he's behind Brandon Johnson and like Lil Jordan Humphrey right now. He's by far better than those guys. I think that that's going to go up very soon. Judy returned. Didn't have a great day, but he ran 36 of 42 routes, five targets. Judy should be fine moving forward. Uh, and then this backfield was sort of messy, where you had Javante leading the backfield in carries, you had Pirine leading the uh, backfield in routes and snaps, and you had Jaleel McLaughlin, the third-string running back, scored the only goal-line touchdown on his three snaps. So, super split up. Javante had the most touches. Uh, so, things are, like, a little bit weird with kind of how this backfield looks moving forward. Uh, Pirine had more snaps than Javante, but had, like, maybe a quarter of the amount of touches. So, it seems like when Pirine's in the game, it's not as much to get the ball. It's really just to be more of a utility piece back there. Uh, but it does feel like Javante is sort of getting an edge uh, on this backfield. They played Washington, which is a pretty brutal front to face. So, wasn't really expecting much from Javante anyways. But I do think that better days are ahead for him. Uh, and we'll kind of, we'll talk about Sam Howell, or, yeah, Sam Howell as well. Where he also, I mean, he didn't blow the doors off like Jordan Love in EPA per play, but like 17th in EPA per play as a quarterback who's like just finally getting his footing in the NFL, uh, he looked all right too. Where versus a good Broncos defense, he had a, a big comeback win here, 299 passing yards, zero interceptions. Like after Jordan Love, I would say Sam Howell of that group of like unproven quarterbacks, like Sam Howell is sort of showing he can play a little bit here uh, as well. Now, I also want to say, you know, Shaq meme, uh, Brian Robinson, I owe you an apology. I was unfamiliar with your game. Uh, inefficient back coming out of college, Brian Robinson. Then, of course, wasn't efficient last year with the hole. Uh, with the I was about to say hole in the leg, but the bullet wound. Uh, but he's very good. He's the RB3 so far uh, in points per game. He had 18 carries, 87 yards, two touchdowns, two catches for 42 yards. Uh, explosive player. He looked good. He's like this tall, upright runner. Now, that next week, you can see Gibson's still in there. He had three of five snaps inside the 10 9 of 11 on uh long down and distance snaps so that's like good for gibson but gibson's looking like a guy like this was the game script to start him right they they get down early they come back they have gibson as their passion down back and still nothing really came of it so gibson to me is like barely a standalone like rb4 but he's still a really good handcuff to own but his season-long outlook is looking rough uh and tony gibson while brian robinson is a very firm rb2 rest of the way uh if he keeps playing like this our third takeaway is the slow start Bengals? We have seen this before, but also maybe we should be a little bit concerned with the calf injury. <laughs> That's a long takeaway. Uh, but when we look here, this is what I sort of dove into. And then I was like, so we have two things going on. We have the calf injury. That's really concerning. But we also have the Bengals have started slow in the past. We've looked at Joe Brover's entire career, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, in weeks one and two, so eight-game sample, right? He's had, this is his fourth season in the NFL. He's now had four weeks one and two, which would be eight total games. 17-game uh, base in those, or 17-game pace in those games, uh, about like 3,800 yards, 25 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, 18 points per game in terms of fantasy. EPA uh, per play, which is what we were talking about earlier, 33rd of 39 quarterbacks, completion percentage over expected. So just based on your dot and if the receiver is open, what should your completion percentage be? Uh, 30th of 39. If we just go from weeks 3 through 18 over his entire career, a 36-game sample, he goes from 3,800 yards to 4,800 yards, 25 touchdowns to 34 touchdowns, 19 interceptions to 11 interceptions. 18 points per game to 23.7 points per game, so like a huge, huge jump. He goes from 33rd in EPA per play to 6th, 
Uh, he goes from 30th in completion percentage over expected to second. So historically speaking, he has always kind of put his best stuff on film in the back half of the season or even just not in the beginning quarter. Uh, so that's reason for optimism here. But it's tough to be like, okay, he's going to get up to speed here if the calf can't go. The calf is what is uh, very, very concerning here, where this is a blurb from, I believe, 4 for 4 uh, by Jeff Mueller. Uh, it's a re-injury. He said his projected timeline, he thinks he's going to be back either as soon as next week, Joe Burrow, or all the way to week 5. He said Burrow admitted to reporters that he suffered a re-injury of his prior calf strain, but states he is day-to-day. The Bengals' offense got off to a really rough start for the second straight week, but did start to heat up in the second half. So maybe his calf is not limiting him all that much. The hope is that his calf isn't really isn't 100%. This does not turn into an Aaron Rodgers type of situation. Uh, something about the Achilles might be best for his long-term prospects if he sits out a week or two to get right. So there's even a concern that he might not play next week, Joe Burrow. This is something that could linger all season. So as much as I would like to tell you guys, like, don't worry about it. If the calf wasn't an issue, I would say the Bengals are are good to go. Not really a problem, but it seems like in the offseason he took a bunch of weeks off and to get his calf right, and now the calf is flaring up again. And that's really concerning because it can be a nagging injury. It can limit him in some ways. Uh, I am still bullish that over an entire season, things are going to be good, you know, from like weeks seven on. The Bengals offense should be the Bengals offense, but it's going to be kind of a bumpy road to get there. What I will say is I wouldn't do anything uh, irrational with uh, Jamar Chase just yet. 29% target share, 20.5% target share in his last two games. He's getting volume. He's still Jamar Chase. He's still a very talented wide receiver. I wouldn't be panicked just yet. I know that some people are like, Ron, like, do I got to trade, trade Jamar Chase? Wherever you have him, you have to hold him. Uh, I mean, if there's like some crazy world where you could somehow add like something very, very small and get into McCaffrey, Jefferson, uh, or Tyree Kill, go ahead and do it. But I don't think that those offers are on the table. So I think you kind of just have to hold and pray. Like, I'm going to be honest with you guys. A lot of you guys watched my uh, draft party video down the shore. I have a Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase stack on that team. It's 0-2. But you're in a spot where you can't really blow things up. You kind of just have to ride it out until things bounce back. Unless you can really finesse uh, your way out of that one. Now, I will say as well, on the other side uh, of this game, you have the Ravens, who I wanted to talk about because the Ravens have J.K. Dobbins gone, and you're now kind of dealing with the fallout of what that backfield looks like. Uh, and it's not great. Two low-end RB3s, as Dwayne McFarlane says here. Justice Hill had over 54% of the snaps, uh, but 31% of the rush attempts, 58% of the routes, 9% of the targets. Gus Edwards took way to the inside the five stuff. That's how he got more fantasy points at 12.2. Gus Edwards more the between-the-tackles grinder uh, and a guy who's going to get carries on the goal line, whereas Justice Hill is your... I would call him the 1A, but he's not getting the valuable stuff on the goal line, so... He's more of your PPR play, but Lamar Jackson is never going to really support a, B- a PPR running back. So things get sort of tough. They're both like shaky RB3s where Gus Edwards, you're hoping for a touchdown. Justice Hill, you're kind of hoping for a big play or some catches there. Uh, we also have Rashad Bateman, who had a little bit of a positive here, where uh, Odo Beckham got hurt. And Rashad Bateman actually ended up playing the most snaps of any wide receiver in the second half for the Ravens. I'm under the impression that Bateman's kind of been slowly ramping up here as a guy coming off of a little bit of uh, an injury in the offseason where he had the Liz Frank injury last season. So still sort of ramping him back up here, but it's good to see that. I think we have an arrow up on Bateman right now. I wouldn't start him yet, but I do think that better days are ahead for him when it comes to Bateman. Now, our fourth takeaway is... 
two things. Uh, actually, it's one thing. It's Dalvin is cooked. Dalvin is cooked. I, we were saying this all offseason, and holy shit, man. Oh, my God, dude. He played literally five snaps um, in terms of the rushing game. He had four total carries in this game, seven yards in those carries, by far the worst rush grade, a terrible fumble that just completely threw the game away. Not that the Jets were ever going to really win that game, but Dalvin Cook looked like a liability out there, and he was drafted to be – or not drafted. He was signed to be some sort of boon of stability. I think Dalvin Cook, people love to say, well, Dalvin Cook, they're paying him $7 million. Here's the thing. That was $7 million that they were never going to use, right? Like, it's a different calculation when it's a one-year deal and you have, you know, you're going into the season with, let's say, $15 million of cap space. What are you doing with that, right? It's not like Kirk Cousins is hitting free agency in weeks five, right? You're not using that money until the offseason when your cap is going to roll over. So you just have a bunch of money that's sitting around. So that's what the Jets did. They went out, they made a luxury signing to appease their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, who is now out for the season. Dalvin Cook doesn't have much strings attached to the Jets. That $7 million is already gone. It truly wouldn't shock me if he gets phased out and phased out as the year goes on. I could see Izzy Abinaconda coming back into the mix and actually taking some carries between the tackles. Dalvin Cook has looked very bad here. Uh, Also pretty annoyed. uh, Honestly, not even for French football, just as a Jets fan. Four touches for Brees Hall is insane. I get that he played on Monday. He's working through the knee thing. But the game was out of control in the second half. I don't understand why earlier in the game, even if you're not going to give him touches, like just have him run just more snaps. Like They didn't use him much at all. It's not super concerning moving forward because my guess is just that he had a little bit of knee soreness after a Monday game. They wanted to slow play it. It's a game that kind of got out of hand. Would have liked 10 touches. Give the best player on your offense an opportunity to do something. Uh, but it just kind of is what it is. Uh, I will say... This defense is not what it used to be, uh, just in terms of passing game, right? Where, like, last year, I think that they only had two wide receivers go over 100 receiving yards last year. We now have back-to-back games of CeeDee Lamb and Diggs going off. Where in the past, we'd be like, oh, we're moving down this wide receiver because he's playing against Sauce Gardner. No more. No more of that, dude. I- I'm I'm truly – I'm pretty disappointed with the way that Sauce has looked so far. I mean, like, the next-gen stats will say, oh, when Sauce was in coverage, he did whatever. He's looked like nothing special to me. Uh, so far so you don't have to shy away from from the Jets as a wide receiver matchup it's really the rushing matchup where you can see EPA per rush uh, was a 24th percentile this is by Sumer Sports and the rushing game is really the only thing I can point at as like a good thing in this game I think Pollard had like I think that there was actually 44 carries for 134 yards on the ground for three yards per carry in this game so the rushing defense was really really good Uh, I think this year you'll want to shy away from running backs that play on this team. Now you can see on the offensive side of the, the board with the Jets, EPA per play, second percentile. EPA per drop back, third percentile. EPA per pass, eighth percentile. EPA per rush, zeroth percentile. That's supposed to be our strength. And because Brees Hall didn't touch the ball very much, zeroth percentile uh, EPA per rush, zeroth percentile early down EPA per play. This offense, yes, it went up against one of the best defenses in the league, but it is going to be absolutely brutal for fantasy, especially in the passing game. Uh, it's a low volume offense. 49.5 plays per game at this point. Again, we were excited that the Falcons got over 60 earlier in this video. The Jets had 49.5 plays per game through two weeks. It's a low-volume offense. It's a bad offense. Garrett Wilson had a 30% target share. He's going to be a big piece of this offense, Garrett Wilson, and that's exciting. But he's the wide receiver 19 through two weeks, despite scoring touchdowns both of those games. So to me, he's a wide receiver two dra- moving forward, and he's not the guy you drafted him for, which really sucks. Now, our fifth takeaway, 
and this is a tough one. Me and you are going to have to have a little talk here. A guy that I like a ton, and I bet on a ton in Dynasty, in Redraft, is Justin Fields. And I think me and you guys have to have a little bit of a chat about Justin Fields here. It's not good. Through two weeks, that's not good. He has the lowest average of the target in the NFL, despite having the fourth highest average time to throw. So he's sitting in the pocket for forever just to either check it down or get sacked. He has been sacked the second most times in the NFL. He has a bottom five EPA per play number, a bottom five, five completion percentage over expectation, a bottom five PFF pass grade. He has been awful so far. Uh, passing environment is going to be pretty brutal. I will say DJ Moore got home this week. He should have sort of games like that moving forward, but just not a great day for this offense at all. And the thing that really irks me is Luke Getze. We did this last year. We did this literally last year. He didn't use Justin Fields in the rushing game. Justin Fields right now, this is a stat that I pulled up. He has legit one, one designed rushing yard. So on plays that are design rushes, not where Justin Fields uh, breaks out of structure and scrambles on a like read option or a QB draw or a QB powers. One of these more creative plays, you'll see the mobile quarterbacks running. They have legit one design rushing yard for Justin Fields through two games this year. Whereas last year he had 422 design rushing yards. <coughs> Luke actually did this exact same thing last year. I don't know why I'm coughing all over the place, but weeks one and two last year, they had nine design rushing yards, 4.5 design rushing yards per game. Weeks three on last year, Fields had 31.8 design rushing yards per game, 413. They did the exact same thing last year. So I think that the rushing's coming, and I think once that comes, Justin Fields will be like a top five quarterback again for fantasy. But I will say, this offense coordinator is doing Justin Fields no favors at all the scheme is bad i've seen people that are much smarter than me dissect it uh like the qb school uh and some other places luke Etty's offense is pretty awful and on top of that they're not even implementing the rushing stuff so he's just completely on an island here what i'll say i think better days are ahead for fields and fantasy i think he's going to rush a lot more than we've seen so far but in terms of fields being a future mvp all pro even top 10 starting quarterback in the nfl it's getting shakier and shakier um, as we go on here, the Bears seem squarely in the conversation to potentially get a quarterback in this next draft. And then where, where Fields goes from there, we don't know. It could be a Trey Lance situation. So it's, it's getting pretty scary uh, for bag holders when it comes to Justin Fields. But at the halfway point here, our sixth takeaway is the world famous and sponsored by Underdog Fantasy rookie wide receiver report. Make sure we have a uh, we have two Monday night games on tonight, but the Steelers won at 8:15. There is a free space, a special pick'em on Underdog Fantasy pick'em. You guess higher or lower on projections, rushing yards, passing yards, fantasy points, whatever you want. You string them together. I think two is like three x. I think three is six x. You can essentially string together these pick'ems, multiply the money that you put on the pick'em, and have a really nice fun sweat for these primetime games. And this special. Over 0.5 total yards, which pretty much means if Kenny Pickett just plays tonight, he's going to hit that. And I believe even last week when Aaron Rodgers got hurt and he actually got the under on 0.5, I think that they refunded everybody. I could be completely wrong, but I think they did. Uh, so make sure you're on the lookout for that. It gives you pretty much a free space in your pick'em slip to sort of just give yourself a free win moving forward. I think you can go all the way to like 20x your pick'em slip. So with that being said, we have 
all rookie wide receivers with 10 or more routes run here. Uh, we're going to save Puka Nakua for the end, and we're just going to go down the PFF grades here. Uh, we have Rashi Rice. He ran less routes than last week. Now, I will say, actually, let me explain what this what's actually on the table. That's probably a good idea. We have a uh, pass snap percentage, which is just the percentage of pass snaps that you're on the field for as a wide receiver. That's all we really care about. You know, are you on the field for a passing down? Uh, target route runs, so just how many targets are you commanding on a per route basis? We Anything over 25% is elite. Anything over 20% is good. Uh, yards per run, anything over 2 uh, is really, really good. And then PFF grade, anything over 80 uh, is elite. So with that being said, we have Rashi Rice. He ran less routes this week, uh, but he's still looking good on a per route basis, right? 2.72 yards per run, 38.9% target per run. He has the highest targets per route run on this entire list. Small sample. <coughs> but I do like the upside for Rashi Rice. I'm still holding out for him. I think if it's going to come for Rashi Rice, I think it's going to be like after the bye week. It's going to take a little bit to sort of learn this offense. Then you have uh, Marvin Mims. 7.63 yards per run is not going to hold at all. It's unsustainable. But I have to imagine that after two targets or, or two catches, 113 yards and a touchdown, that the routes go up, right? 12% pass snap percentage. I think that that's going to go up. Uh, after that, you have Jaden Reed, who is very much a guy in the NFL. Green Bay is sort of weird with their wide receivers. They rotate things where Romeo Dobbs led this team in route percentage this week at 77%. Jaden Reed was out there for about 65% of the routes, but PFF grade... Over 75 is really good. Yards per out run, over two is elite. 25% plus target per out run, also elite. So he hits the three benchmarks, Jaden Reed. He, I think that this is sort of, I don't know that those numbers in particular are going to stick, but Jaden Reed's very much a guy who's going to matter in fantasy uh, moving forward, probably sooner rather than later as well. Next up, we have Zay Flowers. Came a little bit back down to earth after a really huge week one. He had five targets, four catches, 62 yards. Per route stuff is still elite. 24.2% target per out run, 2.26 yards per out run. Also very good. The PFF grade did come down there. I'm not quite sure why. The only real concern I have for Zay Flowers so far is just that his usage is a little gadgety. He's one of 12 wide receivers with under a six-yard A dot right now. You'd, you'd like him to be a little bit more downfield than that. After that, you have Tank Dell, who's actually... He's putting some good stuff on here where he becomes a full-time wide receiver this week. He goes from a 45% snap percentage to an 81%. 20% target power run is what we're looking for. 70-plus PFF grade is fine. 1.51 yards per run, also fine. I don't really know what the upside looks like for a guy like Tank Dell, but I think he could be a nice slot guy in the NFL. Seven catches, 72 yards, and a touchdown this week. Then we have Jordan Addison slowly creeping up the past snap percentage. He goes from 67% to 78%. Very soon, he's going to be passing K.J. Osborne, I believe. Two really nice games here as well with the touchdowns. Then we have Jalen Hyatt. Snap percentage went down. Not commanding some of targets at 10.3%, but 3.07 yards per out run with a 58-yard catch. Really nice. Really good explosive play there from Jalen Hyatt where he had this bomb from Daniel Jones. I believe it was in the second half that kind of got them back in the game a little bit. I have to assume that his touches are going to go up, especially with how weak these wide receivers are in New York. Then we have Michael Wilson, who got demoted from 91% of the, the past snaps to 55%. I think that that was more in favor of like your Zach Ertz uh, usage there. There's not going to be enough room in this passing offense for anybody but Zach Ertz or Hollywood Brown, but Michael Wilson's still going to be an NFL wide receiver, which I guess is kind of interesting. <laughs> not really, though. Uh, you do have Josh Downs. He's getting on the field. But that's about it so far. I think that we're going to see some more from Josh Downs, but at least he's out there for three quarters of the plays, which is pretty much just whenever they're running three wide receiver sets. Uh, then you have Dontavion Wicks, who is 
next to Jaden Reed on the Packers. Nothing really fantasy relevant here, but he's going to be an NFL wide receiver that runs routes, which I think is worth noting. Then we have the uh, Patriots wide receivers will bundle together. You have Keishon Boutte, who got completely demoted after the return of Devontae Parker. And then we have Demario Douglas, who maybe got demoted because of Devontae Parker, but he also had this fumble earlier in the game that kind of just completely shut off his snaps. So something to monitor with Demario Douglas. He sort of was showing some decent peripherals through that first game, right? 1.9 yards per out run, 29% target per out run are both really nice numbers. Then you have Tyler Scott. Just, I mean, just a rotational guy on a passing offense is not really going to give you much shine there. Trey Palmer, rotational piece on the Tampa Bay offense, but that's really all we're seeing there. We have Quentin Johnston, not really panicking just yet. He's commanding targets. He has a 20% target per out run, which is really good. He doesn't really have enough routes to take anything else away here. The positive is that Josh Palmer is 85th among 85 qualifying wide receivers in yards per out run at 0.29 yards per out run. So I do think Quentin Johnson's time is going to come here very soon. Then we have Jack Smith-Najigba. I'm not quite sure how to feel about him yet. He's out there pretty much like Josh Downs, where he's only out there on three wide receiver sets around like 60 to 70% of the snaps. At least he's commanding targets, though. He does have a 21.3% target route run, which is what we're looking for. I would still give him some time, but it is concerning. I think that he has the lowest ADOT in the NFL as well. So his targets aren't downfield, which is kind of the explanation for that 1.00 yards per run. So we're waiting on JSN to come through. But again, with these rookie wide receivers, it does take some patience. You have Jake Bobo and Xavier Hutchinson added to the list. Both non-factors pretty much here. Now, let's talk about Puka. That's our, our next or the start of our next, by the way, again, promo code Ron, link will be in the description and in the comment section down below. But our next thing is going to be talking about Puka and just kind of this entire Rams offense. Puka Nakua is an absolute monster. Now, on the rookie wide receiver part, I probably shouldn't have taken it down yet. Puka Nakua, still about a 90% uh, pass route guy, which is absolutely fine. Target route run, 37.9%, ridiculous. 3.06 yards route run, ridiculous. Only guy with over an 80 PFF grade ridiculous so Puka Nakua is an absolute monster now all I'm really going to say here is that I am bought in that he is going he is here to stay he is a real NFL wide receiver that's going to contribute in fantasy what I will not say is that he is going to be like an all pro pro bowl caliber type wide receiver we truly don't know I pulled this up this is our uh leaders and PPR points through a wide receivers first two NFL games you have Anquan Bolden which is cool Marquise Brown, not as amazing. Eddie Royal, not as amazing. Tyree McClure, not as amazing. You have Kiki Kuti on this list. You have Corey Coleman on this list. So I'm not saying this to bring down Puka, right? He's him and You can cut it off where him and Anquan are the only guys with 50-plus points per game. All I'm trying to say is that two games is a very small sample. I wouldn't run out to best-case scenario. Again, I think that Puka Nakua is going to be a guy. He's going to stick around the NFL. He's going to be usable in fantasy. But I don't know what his ceiling looks like. It could be wide receiver two. It could be top five wide receiver in fantasy. It could just be a wide receiver three, kind of like how Kiki Kuti was. I don't think that he's – I think Kiki Kuti is his absolute floor. I, I didn't really mean that as a direct comparison. I'm just saying it's really tough to make any concrete statements about what his ceiling looks like uh, over an entire season. But for right now, he's very interesting. If you have him, you're pretty much holding and just seeing what's going on with this guy. Uh, Puka Nakua, this Rams offense is also really, really fun. Where It's almost a goldmine here where Puka Nakua is getting home. On top of that, Tutu, Tutu Atwell is a guy that you should be looking at uh, on waivers. Wide receiver 14 in usage this week. This is a chart from Coops FB, a.k.a. Cooper, uh, on Twitter. And Tutu Atwell had... 
wide receiver 14 usage this week, as in he, his expected points per game this week was wide receiver 14. He's the wide receiver 15 in points per game through two weeks here. He's a flex play moving forward. And then you also have Kyron Williams here. It's like this, like, it's this land of misfit toys or island of misfit toys, whatever the saying is, that Sean McVay is just getting the absolute most out of. You can see Kyron Williams here. He's like the RB2 in fantasy right now with crazy usage. He's a top 24 guy rest of season, most likely. Cam Akers looks like he's going to get cut. Kyron Williams, 88% route involvement. That's third in the NFL uh, this week. And he had the fourth highest snap percentage in the NFL this week. Just one of four running backs with over a 95% snap rate. Kyron Williams, man. Like, it is, it's truly insane kind of what's going on with this offense. But you just kind of have to listen up uh, and trust what's going on here. Now, I will also say just a little bit of a subsection of this takeaway. McCaffrey, McCaffrey is back, man. McCaffrey might be the 101 if we drafted today. He had a 100% snap rate. He led all running backs in route involvement. He is getting 2019-level usage right now in a much better offense, and that's very scary uh, as someone that had him as their 103. I still have him in a couple leagues and a, a few spots, but my goodness, this could be the legendary running back that you needed to have in 2023. So if you have McCaffrey, you should feel very, very good about it. To me, he's probably the 101 if we were to redraft today. Now, our eighth takeaway is that it's probably time to panic on Damian Pierce. And I hate to say it because I liked Damian Pierce heading into this year. But man, it's it's crazy. Like this, this was a guy who was supposed to be the bell cow. They wanted to use him more moving forward. And now it's this really ugly three-way split. Pierce is not getting the third down work. It's Singletary and Ogun Bawale splitting the passing down stuff. Damian Pierce now has back-to-back games here on the 50% of the snaps. Yes, it was in a trailing game script losing to the Colts. But part of drafting him was thinking that the Texans are a bad team. They're going to be trailing a lot. And Damian Pierce could get catches and run routes and get targeted in those situations. If he's not going to get pulled off the field when the Texans are trailing, when they're going to be trailing a lot, things get really dicey. Now, the positive part, or no, he did have just 30% of the routes, which is actually really bad. We won 55 to 60% plus. He did get 18 touches. That's the positive point. He got 18 touches. So he's still going to get the ball, just not the same ceiling that we kind of drafted him for. Now, better days could be ahead. He could get more involved here. It's shocking to me that Dari Gunbawali is getting 20% of the snaps in this backfield, but it just kind of is what NFL coaching is, where you see a lot of guys like Dario Gunbawale and your Travis Homers and your DJ Dallases. They're just in the mix for the role that they can play. Regardless, maybe Damian Pierce can still earn that role, but on this bad of an offense with this bad of an offensive line, you're probably looking at like a dead zone-ish RB2 that's not a super high ceiling guy moving forward, which does suck. Now, I will say on the other side of this game, Zach Moss is an absolute bell cow. Until Jonathan Taylor comes back, Zach Moss is a a top 24 play every week. He had 98% of the snaps, all of the long down and distance work, all of the inside the 10 snaps. Zach Moss, the usage is amazing. He was the RB9 in points this week. Zach Moss is going to be a stud until JT comes back. Uh, Now we also have... Sadly, Kenneth Walker receiving usage false alarm. Or Kenneth Walker false alarm is probably what I'll write here. Um, and it really sucks. We sort of ran out to best case scenario last week. We saw that Kenneth Walker had a 55% route participation, which after having like a 40% last year was a huge uptick. He had five targets. It was like, okay, if Kenneth Walker's getting this passing down roll, then it's wheels all the way up. Then he comes out this week, 33% of the routes, just two targets. So he's now back to where he was, back to square one. Uh, the between the tackles grinder uh, with some goal line work 
on a good offense, which is still valuable. It's still like a top 15 back in fantasy, but it's not quite top five upside for Kenneth Walker. So that does suck to see. You also have Jameer Gibbs in this game and kind of what his role means without David Montgomery. 12.6 PPR week, uh, PPR points this week. Nothing crazy, but there are some positives here. He had nine targets for a 26.5% target share. That is elite. Uh, after the Montgomery injury, he had a 71% snap share. He had all the long down and distance work. He had a snap inside the 10. He's still a rookie. He's still coming on here. I do think that better days are ahead for Jameer Gibbs, especially with David Montgomery out for the next few weeks. Gibbs isn't now going to be a bell cow with like 25 touches, but he's now going to be the featured back, which is really exciting. So Jameer Gibbs, arrow pointing all the way up. Then our 10th takeaway here is the Chameleon Chargers, which is really fun where we said last week the Chargers are really run heavy. But it's not that they were really have, uh, run heavy. It's that they were playing against the Dolphins, who the Chargers knew were going to set up in too high and let them run the ball. So they did. Then they played up against the Titans. The Titans are known for an amazing defensive line with Jeffrey Simmons. I believe that they allowed the least amount of fantasy points to opposing running backs last year. So what did the Chargers do? They go out here and they pass the ball in the Titans with the fourth highest neutral pass rate after having the 32nd highest neutral pass rate. So expect moving forward with these Chargers. They're going to pass or run based on their opponent. It's not going to be really a team identity moving forward. Now, we'll also say on the other side of that Chargers versus Titans game, the Titans are rotating their wide receivers in a very weird way, and it's frustrating, and it downgrades both Traylon Burks and DeAndre Hopkins rest of the season. Now, I don't know if this is going to stick because DeAndre Hopkins had an injury heading into this game, but it's really not good. Where none of them had over 80% of the pass routes in this game, and you can even see the two slash three wide receiver snap percentage. Again, this is by at CoopFB on Twitter. He's a really good follow. They split the two wide receiver snaps where the there were nine two wide receiver snaps, right? So it's two wide receiver and then 17 is your three wide receiver snaps. Traylon Burks actually led them in two wide receiver snaps there. Uh, it's just it's just puzzling is really all I can say. Uh, I don't know if any of them are going to be startable moving. or I think Hopkins will be startable, but as like a wide receiver three moving forward, maybe this straightens out as Hopkins gets back. But it seems like Nick Westbrook-Akine is going to at least be very annoying for Traylon Burks. Now, that is going to do it for us today. Psych! We got a bonus. DeAndre fucking Swift, baby. DeAndre Swift, baby. I started him everywhere I had him. I, I tried to rank him high enough in the weekly rankings on Patreon that a lot of you guys that are on the Patreon would start him. I had him as like RB29 this week, which was way ahead of consensus. Uh, I started him everywhere I had him. He went absolutely crazy. We had a video that everyone, uh, people were coming back to and commenting on it. Uh, it was at the end of August, I said the cheapest league-winning running back was DeAndre Swift. Now, we aren't even close to the finish line yet. We can't really take victory laps or anything, but this was a huge, huge step in the right direction for DeAndre Swift. He had 77.7% of Philly's running back rushes on Thursday to go along with a 13.6% target share. No Philly back hit those marks or better in a single game last year. Miles Sanders was above a 70% RB rush share and a 10% target share just once. So DeAndre Swift had a role that we've never seen before, and that's what we were excited about because the rushing role that he had, he had like over 170 rushing yards. It was amazing, DeAndre Swift, between the tackles. The thought process was that he could be Miles Sanders between the tackles, be that featured back, and then eat into that Kenneth Gainwell receiving role and sort of couple Miles Sanders' rushing role last year with like 50-plus targets and be a monster. Now, the passing game just hasn't come. Gainwell is going to come back, and he's going to siphon away a lot of that passing usage, but I have to believe that DeAndre Swift has at least earned 
the featured back role, which is very exciting. He's now he goes from after week one where he was no longer startable, and like so I've heard, I heard some people even like dropped him in some leagues to now a startable RB three at absolute worst. That's going to have the lion's share of the carries in this offense. It just comes down to can he earn back the targets and does any alignment of this depth chart stick for more than like four games? So that's kind of all that's up in the air here uh, with this Eagles backfield, but this is at least a huge win in the short term for DeAndre Swift. Now that's going to do it for us today. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. That is our top 10 lessons learned, takeaways, observation show. Uh, one of my favorite to do, compiled the data t this morning. Again, I want to get these out earlier, man. It just It's tough to time it where I have to get certain things finished. And then I'm also looking to PFF for grades and stuff. PFF doesn't drop their grades until like noon. I have to get the rookie wide receiver report done with the PFF grades. We're going to get this up earlier as we go along here. I hate dropping these midday. I'd love to have these out for you guys around like 2 p.m. Eastern. Today, it's going to be more like 4 or 5. Uh, but regardless, hope you enjoyed. And I will see you guys. Also, make sure you subscribe, leave a like, and I will see you guys in the next one.